To a, another episode of the Book of Sports podcast where two Christian sporting nuffies talk about the relationship between Jesus and sport. Today, with me, your host, Tim Schooler, as always, is our very special guest and co host, Nathan the Question Mark Brewer. How are you, Dogger? <laughs> good, good. I'm a bit of an enigma, am I? The Question Mark. I like it. Well, not necessarily that you are enigmatic, but mm. we're thinking today about identity. Okay. So who is the real Nathan Brewer? That's the key question that we're going to try and wrestle with. Who is the who is who really are we? What does it mean to be someone? Because we've got different athletes today who are telling us different stories, and it's a very thought provoking episode, I think. Mm. Um, after what is arguably one of our strongest episodes ever last week. Um, so let's start with uh, last week, Nathan. Your reflections initially on the uh, Olympic debate? Yeah, it was good. Um... Yeah, it's it's fun. It was fun. It was it was uh, yeah. Debate formats force you to to be quick on your feet. You can prepare and get your stats ready, but um, you can never you can never control the human element of a debate and where they're going to take it and what parts they're going to respond to and, and focus in on. So yeah, it's good for good for keeping me on my toes. How about you? Well, my next question then is: as you walked away from the debate, did you feel like you you were victorious, or do you feel like you had uh, succumbed to defeat? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but uh, I walk away from any conversation, particularly a debate, and I always think of, like, retrospectively go, oh, there's three or four arguments that are left on the table there that I could have utilised. Um, and so there's a couple of stats and a couple of things I, that I uh, reflected on the Friday and the Saturday and went, ah, oh, I should have brought those up. But, yeah, it went okay. It went okay. Um, no complaints and, and the feedback from people were was pretty pretty even i think so I'm, I'm fairly happy with how i went what about you did you you're more confident in yourself than than i am so you probably left feeling pretty good about yourself i imagine well whether it be a strength or a weakness of my character i think yes i did walk away feeling like i've smoked that oh, i feel like i brought my a game and it was clear for all to see that um indisputably the olympics is more <laughs> excrement than excellence um but you're right the feedback that came through it's it was it was quite even but it did tip in your uh in your favor actually so congratulations nathan the victor victor of the very first book of sports debate well done you thank you that's um that's very humbling so looking forward to the next one but you um you did give yourself a very um a tough assignment arguing against sort of the um the best sporting event in the world, well, I happen, I have, I do happen to genuinely agree with the position I was arguing for, which not every <laughs> debater has the advantage of doing. So, um, I mean, I, I have, I, I must confess, I've enjoyed elements of the Olympics, and we're we're talking a bit more about the Olympics today, and we'll see why. Um, but I have enjoyed the Olympics a little bit, um, especially things like the hockey, which I did say were the uh, the highlight of the Olympics anyway. But um, that takes us on to today, where we're talking about identity. Uh, we'll get to that in the second half of the show. But for today, we want to start with a, just a little bit of a check-in on where we're, our teams are at. So we did say that the Book of Sports is running through the 2021 football seasons. Mm. And we're primarily going to be tracking AFL, NRL, see how that's going um, with a few other things along the way. So why don't you kick us off, Nathan? Give us an update on your beloved Canberra Raiders. Yes. Um, yeah, on the surface, things are going all right. We've won three out of our last four, which is pretty good. Uh, we're sitting in ninth. And um, we're very even in points. Uh, we could get very close up to seventh. The only problem facing us is we have three 
Uh, we have four games left, and three of those against that are, are against teams that are higher on the table than us and would be expected to beat us, and only one of those uh, games is against someone below us. And so we will, um, we're still in ninth. We still have a shot, but it's going to be a really, really tough run home, starting with the Storm this week. So that's going to be a nasty one. And then Roosters and Seagulls are the other two other top eight teams. Uh, the only sign of hope is that we did beat the Seagulls uh, last time we played them and we did knock out the Roosters from the uh, the finals last year. So there are teams that we've had a little bit of success against and the Warriors is our remaining game and we normally do pretty well against them as well. So four games, three of them hard, but um, I mean Storm I think is a little bit of a write-off. But the other three, uh, other three are winnable and I think if we go three for four, we'd, we'd like our chances of sneaking into that eighth spot. Storm are a big challenge. And I know previously on this podcast, I said I just had a feeling that the Raiders were going to go on a bit of a run. I, I'm here to say I was wrong. I think it's it's all over for the Raiders. If I do, I mean, uh, now people who regularly follow this podcast will know that I follow rugby league minimally. And that's, you know, an understatement. But the I do believe when the Raiders beat the Sea Eagles, it was a thoroughly understrength Sea Eagles team as well on that occasion. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah, but... Yeah, we'll take anything we can get. And so, yeah, look, the odds are against us. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any way of us beating the Storm. And and then we have, then that leaves us to go three for three in our final three games. And that's – they don't fill me with confidence, uh, the Raiders. This year we've been very up and down and haven't shown much resilience when the going gets tough. So I'm not I'm not feeling great about it. But you were the one who gave the big passionate spiel a few weeks ago. And so that that's was. fine. That's inspired me to hold on to a little bit of hope. So, yes, my Raiders are not going as well as uh, your Swannies. Yeah, if you want any more reasons for uh, lack of optimism, you, it might be helpful to know that the Storm have got a points differential of 465 this season. So um, that is that is a monstrous number. Yeah. And ours is uh, minus 82. So that's a 547-point point differential <laughs> between us and the Storm. So, yes. So... An outside chance at best for finals action in, yes. uh, for the Raiders this season. Uh, in contrast to that, my Swans uh, just look a little bit of a hiccup on on Saturday. I saw that, uh, but you know what? I think it might work in our favour. Okay, now the last time I made one of these pronouncements, as we've just discussed, was the Raiders, and that went badly. But so the Swans are currently sitting in sixth. Okay, they're what well, equal fifth, but sixth on percentage. Um, because of COVID, there's no. It doesn't really matter whether you finish five to eight or one to four. It does matter if you fit, finish in the top four or the bottom four of the finals. But because there's no home finals for Sydney, it doesn't really matter. You know where that ends up being being played. So you can finish anywhere five to eight. Doesn't matter. The thing that's interesting about the Swans is that we have been on this really strong run been playing exceptional football. Bit of talk about the Swans from the commentary fraternity and the analysts of the game, just starting to feel like the Swans are picking up their their act and actually starting to get somewhere. Uh, and then we lost to St Kilda on Saturday, but all is not lost. We are likely to play West Coast in the first week of finals. There's still two rounds to go. Anything could happen. West Coast could still drop out of that finals race, actually, but it's there's a decent chance that we play West Coast. If we do, that'll be the easiest final in a decade that any team has had to play because the West Coast are playing the worst football of any team in the AFL at the moment. 
Wow. So lock that in as a win. <laughs> After that, anything can happen. We've seen on the weekend that uh, Geelong and the Western Bulldogs both lost. Mm-hmm. Melbourne almost lost the West Coast, so they're not in great form. Port Adelaide won on the weekend, but all were severely challenged by Adelaide. So all the teams playing above Sydney have all had teams who are showing have shown areas to, to beat them. And I think the Swans game plan will stack up well in September. So I, although we've now lost our chance at the top four effectively, I'm, uh, I'm reasonably optimistic about the Swans and, um, and what they might do. I, look, I, I don't think it's likely that we'll win the flag, but I could, I could see us making a prelim. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling good about it. We're playing well. And yeah, I mean, G- GWS beat along, didn't they? And so. GWS know. played very well. Now that's a good segue actually, Nathan, because mm-hmm. it brings me on to a, uh, Something we've discussed previously on the podcast this season is the the pride that is associated with seeing people who you have played local sport with make it on the big stage. And the GWS Giants had two players playing for them in their um, against all odds victory over Geelong, and it is, people are talking about that as the greatest victory in GWS history. Wow! Um, because it was nobody goes to Geelong and wins as a general rule. Uh, GWS did it having. Eight players out from the previous week. I think it was. I think I'm right on that stat. Um, they had less than half the average experience compared to the Geelong squad. Um, it was basically the GWS reserves, and they went down Geelong and beat them on their home deck, which is just about the hardest place to play in the AFL. Mm-hmm. So huge props to GWS. And they did it with two Penn Hills Demons in their ranks. So James Peatling and Kieran Briggs, both players who I... Uh, well, I played a little bit of footy with um, with JP, less with Kieran, but um, certainly uh, formed and shaped by the Penninhills Football Club. On debut the week before, James Peatling had 19 disposals with 14 kicks and five handballs. He had took seven marks and three tackles in his AFL debut, which is a pretty handy debut game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just interesting to see those Penninhills boys in there. But I've got someone else in mind, Nathan, for the uh, the Penninhills story of the week. Okay. You ready for it? I'm ready. I'm pumped. So, Penn Hills Demons play AFL. But this is not someone who's made it big as an AFL footballer. Okay. This is someone who played... And this this is a little bit of a uh, a rags-to-riches story for anyone who's struggled at the lower echelons of sport anywhere. This is someone who was playing third and fourth grade for Penn Hills uh, a number of years ago. Turns out he's better at cricket than he was <laughs> at AFL. Nathan Ellis... Had his international T20 debut for Australia the other day against Bangladesh. Three for 43 off four overs. Not okay, bad. maybe not the uh, the best economy rate, but you know, in a 2020, that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Took a hat trick, Nathan. Whew, that's Took cool. a hat trick. Yeah. That's cool. Look, it might have been against the Bangladesh tail, but an international T20 hat trick is an international T20 hat trick and That's that can right. never be taken away from him. So well done to Nathan Ellis. He is I think we need a new segment, the Pennant Hills Demon of the Week uh in professional sport. There's just so many of them out there now. So uh very proud of uh, Nathan Ellis's exploits in uh, in Bangladesh. Yeah, and let me say that's a hat trick against the team that just beat the Aussies 4-1. So I'm saying he's <laughs> playing, he's playing a superior nation and I, I mean I I wish, and you should be doing the obscure stat, like how many uh, T20 hat tricks have there ever been on debut? I imagine there'd be, uh, you could count them on a single hand. Um, so, a very impressive debut. So, good on him. I think I heard it said that it was he was the first Australian to take a hat trick on debut in any format. 
That's impressive. That's good. Damien Fleming take a hat trick on debut. I don't know. I'm, I'm now obscure stats is your territory, Nathan. So let's let's go to that now. What what obscure study you got for us for the week? Yeah. So tragically, uh, the Olympics have wrapped up um, for the next three years. Likely, it's only a three year gap between the, between this and the next one now. But um, uh, who won? Thirteen, to be honest. <laughs> who won the Olympics this year, Tim? <laughs> Oh, goodness. It wasn't the US. It was. Well, the US will tell you they won, but I want to tell you my obscure stat is that Bermuda, Bermuda won the Olympics because the US got the most gold medals with 39. Kudos. Oh, did they? Yeah. I thought China got the most gold. China got 38. I think there's controversy about it, but I think the US won. Okay. But the oh, stats well, are out. The stats are coming out, and they're—I don't know whether it's tall poppy syndrome, but they're realizing that actually America and China's feats aren't that impressive. And so, the obscure stat of the week is uh, gold medals by population. And so, Bermuda wins one gold medal for every sixty-three thousand people in their country. Okay. America wins one gold medal per 8.5 million people in their country. So Bermuda is about 135 times better than America. So let's Can't just argue with that. Yeah. And so I thought this, I thought this obscure stat would be pleasing to you. So Australia is 11th on that count. We win a gold medal per every 1.5 uh, million people in our country. And so Bermuda, 63,000 people per gold medal. That's impressive. Bahamas, 393,000. America, 8.5 million. So really, you can argue that the uh, Americans came about 60th. So overall, 59th uh, is their population per medal that they won. So, and uh, yeah, so United States. Yeah, Yeah, when the Americans want to tell you they won the Olympics, you can tell them not only did they not win, but they greatly underachieved and came about 59th. So... Heard it here first in the book of sports. I think as well, actually, if you probably dig into that, it's probably an even more impressive stat for Bermuda because it is a bit of a tax haven. So there's a lot of people who technically live in Bermuda who've never stepped foot in the country. So there's probably only about you know forty thousand who actually live there. Yeah, that's true. So, and if you go, I mean, anyway, there's all sorts of really interesting obscure stats. If you go by like economic strength and population, United States slipped down to eighty seventh. Um, yes. So, so it's just you know, yeah, they got the most medals, but were they the most impressive nation? Absolutely not. And so, that's just maybe it's just the tall poppy in the classic Australian mindset of wanting to tear down the big dog. But I'm saying, America, you should be ashamed of yourselves at these Olympics. And Australia outperformed you, New Zealand outperformed you, and Bermuda thoroughly outperformed you. So. There you go. But a hearty amen to that. A hearty <laughs> amen. I mean, the US have the identity as the people who are the most successful Olympic nation. And as we pointed out extensively in the debate last week, there is, depending on which statistical category you look at, that mm. is a justifiable claim. But uh, you've, you've brought out some very uh, interesting and helpful clarifications to that, Nathan. Mm. So I appreciate your work on that front. <laughs> uh, it does take us into the dressing room mirror mm. for today. And this is where we're jumping into the, uh, the topic of identity. Nathan Brewer, mm. topic of identity. And this comes up from uh, the Olympic performance of a young Central Coast Mariners fan, oh. um, Nicola McDermott. She uh, 
from the Central Coast, big Mariners fan. In fact, I first saw her name pop up on my social feed because the Mariners had uh, said it's not every day that a Mariners fan wins a gold, wins a uh, silver medal. <laughs> and uh, Nika McDermott, female Australian high jumper, she jumped a personal best of two metres and two centimetres um, in the high jump, which is – that's that's a very high that's jump. Yeah. I mean, you know my comments on – you know, these skills as opposed to sport, but that's a great skill, right? I'm prepared to go that far. And yeah. Nicola McDermott <laughs> is, um, just, she, she's been uh, uh, reported by a lot of people to um, to be a Christian, to be uh, very uh, proud and um, unashamed about her Christian convictions. And so here's the words that she said um, in, uh, in an interview uh, and, and talking about her, um, her story of how she became a Christian. So she said, I think as a teenager, I was always an outcast and I got welcomed into a faith community that loved me. And I just remember encountering God's love and it changed the way I thought of myself as a misfit. Why was I created so tall and stuff? And it gave me passion and purpose to use it. In 2017 was my big moment when it flicked the switch and I decided to pursue God over sport. Whatever comes from sport is a bonus, but I am already complete and perfect and loved as a person regardless of it. That just allowed me to soar over every high jump bar and not be scared anymore because I'm loved, and that is the most important thing. And I think what Nicola is articulating there is a in a you know very um, rich experience for her of her identity being transformed from one of a misfit who didn't belong, who was um, you know, not treated well and because of the way that people treated her that influenced the way that she saw herself to someone who is grounded and secure in the love that god has for her mm. um just a, such an encouraging um testimony nathan yeah that was um that was really special and, and so mature and she you know from a christian standpoint she had the option of having a really easy uh really easy popular win uh, by just talking about the human spirit and persevering and just work hard and your dreams come true and people would have eaten that up and and yet to to get that platform and to have that easy option but then to to go and share about your faith and and yeah and there'll be there are lots of people who love what you said but there'll be lots of people who don't like it either and i just thought yeah that's a that's a woman who's not scared to fail and it's a woman who's not not scared of uh, the world and, and the hate that you'll get um, being a Christian either. So very impressive, mature uh, young woman. So I was really, really amazed by just how open she was and how, you know, she couldn't wait for the stadiums to be opened again for the Olympics. But even more importantly, uh, there'll be a revival and stadiums that people filled worshipping uh, Jesus like it was back in uh, Billy Graham's heyday. Like really just unexpected and mature and uh, really amazing from um, from her. Yeah, and I think because because it is such it's you, know, you look at her and the way she speaks and the way she talks and it seems it to be such a genuine expression of who she is that there has from what I've seen and there might be stuff that I'm not aware of but there hasn't been too much hate there hasn't been you know too much criticism of that it seems that she's been pretty well ex- accepted and um, embraced you know even though you know, Scott Morrison might not get the same treatment when it comes to his face. <laughs> though I, you know, from what I can tell, it seems to be just as, as genuine and her as hers, but yeah, she seems to have been, you know, welcomed and, and embraced in, in that part of things, but it's definitely an intentional platform that she wants to use. Um, mm. You know, she's got a, 
uh, a website, nicolamcdermott.com, where she sort of shares a bit of her story and she talks a bit about, uh, you know, seeking to to have an influence for Jesus in the the world of Christian um, athletes. Um, Everlasting Crowns is a ministry that she set up to help other athletes to understand Christianity from an athletic point of view. She's written um, about the gospel using language and concepts that athletes will understand. And so she's, uh, it's a very intentional platform for her. Mm. I've got another quote for you, Nathan. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. She Mm. says, I do a lot of athletics, but I also do a lot of ministry. I keep the focus on making my identity outside of sport. I do sport, but it's not who I am. That's been the breakthrough for me, realizing that my performance does not determine my identity. Once you do that, you realize that it doesn't matter whether you win the Olympics or come last, you're still the same person. Wow. That's just, I don't know how old she is, but she's just so mature and has such a godly, godly view on athletics. And yeah, that really nice balance of you put all that effort in, you work hard and you, and you do the best you can in your, in your work, uh, which for her case is athletics and uh, and yet, yet the ultimate number one thing is to, to serve God and, and to do, and so she's hungry for ministry and yet, and her identity isn't whether she's a silver medalist or whether she came ninth at the Olympics, it's uh, she's perfect child of God because uh, of Jesus' death on the cross for her. So she's just so, so mature and has a, a life perspective that is just so liberating and freeing and, um, you know, she she's a really successful athlete, as we saw at the Olympics. But if her identity was found up in that, it would just be so up and down, and injuries would be devastating, and future failures would be just heartbreaking. But she's so secure and so confident in who she is that um, even when uh, she does move past her prime and her athleticism wanes, like she's got an identity that can't be taken from her. So, yeah, she just has this eternal identity and eternal peace. And uh, it, sh- it shines through in everything that she says, which is so so cool to watch. And those ups and downs that you've seen, you, you've articulated there, I think it's a, a very helpful observation that if you if your identity is found in your performance, you're always going to be going up and down in your in your mood, in your self perception, in your understanding of you know how successful you are at life or as a person. Um, she's 24, uh, by the way, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, very young to have that sort of clarity in her, her thinking. Um, I want to compare her to Kate Campbell. Now, um, uh, Campbell, as for, judging by her Wikipedia page, and that's sort of how you find anything out about anyone, um, as, she identifies as a Christian. So we're not doing this necessarily as like a, you know, a Christian versus non-Christian kind of thing. But it's interesting to see an athlete for, for someone who's, uh, whose identity is not so she talks about identity. I've got, we've got some some quotes here and a quote from a Wikipedia page at least. Um, but it's interesting just to compare the two and just to see how um, they think through success and, and the struggles. So uh, it says on a Wikipedia page, Campbell was previously identified as a Christian. In 2010-2011, she came down with glandular fever and was unable to compete. She realized she could not base her identity on her swimming career as it always had inconsistencies. Instead, she believed she needed to rely on God for her quote, strength and love, who helps me look past the here and now and look toward the future that I will share with him in heaven someday. At the time, she was attending a local Baptist church in Brisbane. So I don't know where Kate Campbell is as a Christian today. Um, That doesn't seem to be um, publicly available. But interesting that when she struggled in her competition, she came to this idea of, oh, my identity is not found in my swimming because actually it's crippling. 
if my identity is my achievement and I fail. Mm. But interesting, uh, talking about um, her competitions just recently after these current Olympics, uh, there's, she said these, these words, there were understandably quite a few demons knocking at the door when I woke up this morning, so this is on the morning of her race, but I held them all at bay and performed when it counted to get another Olympic medal. So she hasn't been asked about her Christian faith there, so she's not, you know, like it's maybe a bit unfair to compare it. But <laughs> this, when she, it's interesting that when she succeeds, there's this idea of, well, she's conquered her demons. Mm. When she struggles, it was my identity is in Christ. And I think what's, and, you know, it might be a bit unfair on Kate Campbell to, uh, to compare these two, but what's so stunning about Nicola's uh, comment is that it comes in the midst of her greatest success, potentially the greatest success that she'll have in her life, right? Winning silver at the Olympics. She might never get to the Olympics again. And yet in her time of greatest success, she's pointing away from herself to the one who grounds her despite what she achieves. Mm. Yeah. That's so it reminds me a lot of um, the Apostle Paul and just the way he he has, he has lots of achievements in his life that uh, he could have... Uh, bragged about in his day and he even mentioned some of them you know in Galatians he was a Jew he was you know, accelerating through the ranks pretty much quicker than anyone around him and you know he's the ultimate Hebrew of Hebrews and he he's spotless when it comes to the lawyers so many achievements and, and in that culture was a big deal and could have had huge sway and huge influence going one way and yet he repeatedly says you know the only thing I have to brag about and boast about is Christ not my missionary achievements not my sermons that have led to life-changing effects on thousands of people but yeah all I have to boast in is Christ and and so to see uh, McDermott sort of have all this success and yeah she could have basked in a little bit and yet very quickly was uh, didn't want to brag and, and just and gave all the glory to God it was very um very impressive and, and reminded me of Paul in that in that regard. Very uh, very capable people uh, who are just focused on Jesus above all else, and that was it's, it's so refreshing, very challenging and humbling uh, uh, for us, even as ministers, to to when, when things are going well, uh, are we stoked with ourselves or are we uh, seeking to give glory to God? So really good, challenging, super encouraging, and super challenging uh, for me to think about uh, just hearing how mature and godly she is in, in her success. And one of the things that you spot in, in Paul's ministry, and I think it's a great um, comparison to make, one of the things you spot in Paul's ministry is joy just exudes from him, mm-hmm. right? When he's talking about his churches and he's talking about his ministry and he's talking about what he's, a, he's seeking to do for the, the kingdom of, of God and the, taking the gospel to all nations, there's this joy that is just so tangible as you read Paul. It comes through his writing. And I think you see that same joy uh, in, in Nicola where she's just beaming and you do genuinely believe that if, if she came last at the Olympics, she would have the same, she'd be disappointed, of course, but she'd have the same uh, joy grounding her life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's amazingly refreshing. And it's actually amazingly um, transformative for a person to experience that because you, do, you are then able to be generous to others and celebrate the success of others. It was one of the things that she did really well. And I think in the high jump was that she was genuinely happy for the person who won gold when she cleared, you know, two meters and four. Um, she was happy for her, right? She doesn't want others to fail because she doesn't need them. That It doesn't help her sense of identity for others to fail, but she just wants to be the best that she can be as, as she um, lives out a, a life that's been captivated by the the love that God has for her. 
yeah, yeah, her joy just, yeah, the way that she talked like that, that was a joy that you can't take away from her. And that's, yeah, and there's a similar thing with Paul where he writes, you know, if I'm in prison, if I have nothing, I, I still have the joy of Christ. If I'm succeeding and things are going well and I'm, I'm well fed, I still have joy. It's sort of this, this Christian joy is not uh, dependent on circumstances and the ups and downs uh, of life and, and success. Like it's, it's a joy that can't be taken away. And um, yeah, you see it in Paul and, and I think you see it in Nicola as well, that even when she's, even when she's done as a high jumper and uh, she, her body can't do the things it used to be able to do, that her joy will still be uh, just the same and maybe even more. So yeah, it was a really, it was awesome to watch. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nathan, as always, uh, I think we can firmly say that your identity is before it is Nathan Brewer. It is a child of God. And that's a, a cool thing for you to know. It's a cool thing uh, for all Christians that we get to have that joy of living with that. It's been great to have you, as always, co-hosting this. Uh, to everyone who's listening in, thanks for tuning in to the Book of Sports for this week. As always, uh, subscribe on your favorite podcatcher to be notified of any time that we release new material. And uh, if you have been blessed by this and you'd like to share it with someone you think they would benefit from it too, then why not uh, personally invite them? Uh, send them a link, invite them along to listen to the Book of Sports. Until next time, now next time, Nathan, we've got, uh, we've got some Jordan Peterson to listen to, who's not some, a name who's regularly associated with sport, and some of our listeners <laughs> might not have heard of Jordan Peterson. Uh, he is a uh, clinical psychologist from Canada, but uh, he's got a fascinating insight into sport and an audio clip we're going to listen to that and have a bit of a talk about that next week on the book of sports see you then see you later